this session, we discuss contextual therapy and its application to sociocultural trauma, transgenerational trauma, and the necessity of geopolitical knowledge in our work. After podcast, I am Naveed Zamani and I am your host. In this session, I'll be speaking with Dr. Tatiana Globova. Dr. Tatiana Globova is professor of Couple and Family Therapy Program at Alliant International University in Sacramento, California. She has published and presented at state, national, and international conferences on many topics, including contextual family therapy and transgenerational trauma. Her clinical practice includes working with families that experience various forms of sociocultural trauma, which she presented at the 2023 AFTA conference. She recently co-edited a book with Dr. Knutson Martin called Sociocultural Trauma and Wellbeing in Eastern European Family Therapy. Tatiana, thank you so much for joining us. As always, I want to ask, what's been capturing your attention these days in your work? Yeah, thank you, Navid, for... Um, uh being inviting me uh, and having this podcast as i already told you it's my first one so uh, i'm very excited to talk to uh, the after community about uh, my interests uh, and uh, as navid already mentioned uh, my most recent interests are uh, the impact of sociocultural trauma, various types of sociocultural trauma on families and relationships. And because I've been a devoted uh, contextual, uh, contextual family therapist, this is my primary model, I'm looking at uh, effect of larger sociocultural context and its traumatic um, events uh, through contextual therapy uh, framework. The result of uh, my recent work, and uh, it's not only my work, it's really has been, uh, it, it was a collaborative project, which I'm very uh, proud about is, um, a book published in uh, Springer Briefs uh, about sociocultural trauma and well-being in Eastern European family therapy. All listeners uh, probably already guessed that I'm not a native English language speaker. I came uh, to the United States 25 years ago. Uh, it's a special year, 25 years being in the United States. Um, I was born uh, in Moscow, uh, in the non-existent country now. It's uh, the the former Soviet Union. Uh, I grew up there, became an adult. I came to the States um, as an adult. Uh, I'm a first-generation immigrant. Uh, and I've been working with... Uh, families of immigrants from various backgrounds, but also 
I've been working with uh, uh, colleagues from other Eastern European countries. And uh, through years uh, and through presentations, uh, including at after in Denver, I cannot recall the year, uh, we presented with uh, Dr. Knutsen Martin on couples relationship and um, I presented on a small study about the relational ethics and couples in Russia uh, and realized how much the history of the country impacted those patterns of relationship between partners. I probably was aware. Uh, and when I reflect on that, uh, I'm more surprised that uh, this topic wasn't my primary focus earlier because I've been working in the United States as a um, educator and clinicians, uh, clinician since 2000 three, so 20 years, but uh, the most attention to this topic was given just recently, maybe like five, 10 years. So it's, it, I think it's an interesting phenomenon uh, for me personally to reflect on. So in this published book, and by the way, uh, the after will make an announcement that there the will be a link available uh, for members uh, uh, to read uh, the book and to have access to this book. Also, some universities have free access to uh, this book through their libraries, and uh, you can get the whole book or you can get chapters, whatever. Um, uh, you are interested in. So I, I would like to uh, talk a little bit about the book structure. Uh, it's a tiny book. It's a tiny book. Uh, and it's another first thing in my life. It's the first book uh, I published. Uh, I, I did chapters, but never um, had a chance to um, do book publication before. And without... Carmen, Dr. Knudsen Martin, it wouldn't be possible. Like she was such a big. Uh, first of all, she, she she was pushing me to do that, and I hesitated. And uh, I asked her whether she wants to be co-editor, and she was so kind to do it. And I learned so much uh, about the process of writing she she did a lot of work for the book uh but it's a, a unique project uh because there are eight chapters there and five of them are written by professionals from five eastern european countries uh hungary serbia romania moldova and russia uh and the goal was to invite different professionals. Uh, there, there are family therapists, of course, there are researchers, sociologists, historians, uh, cultural anthropologists um, who participated in this 
teamwork and it was important to hear uh, their perspectives from inside how they do like how they think uh, historical and sociocultural traumas uh, manifest in uh, relationships. Uh, we, those five countries share the, more or less the same history, though, uh, of course, there are many differences, but um, as um, part of the region of Eastern Europe, um, there were two big wars um, in the 20th century, World War, uh, World War I and Second. It impacted, they impacted all of those countries. Uh, then another denominator in our histories was communism regime and uh, era of totalitarian um, societies, which that impacted people and families tremendously. But for each country, there are different aspects of that historical legacy, different ways how they deal with those traumas. So um, I invite people, um, professionals, if they are interested in uh, this uh, region, to read those chapters. Um, and there are three chapters uh, written by Carmen and myself. The first one is conceptual model of sociocultural trauma, which can be applied to different type of uh, traumas which originated in the larger system. It can be uh, immigration, it can be um, discrimination, oppression, poverty. Uh, so I believe that that model uh, can provide some conceptual help uh, with uh, when we think about uh, impacts of larger so uh, so uh, societal context on um, relational well-being. And there are two, like one chapter is on uh, specific application of contextual therapy to transgenerational trauma. And uh, the final chapter is about overall recommendations, how to work with uh, long-lasting uh, impacts of sociocultural trauma. Thanks for sharing about this book. It sounds really rich. And quite important. I'm appreciating that. And, you know, correct me if anything I say is uh, misrepresentative of what you've shared, that there's something about large events that are occurring that impact various cultures. And is that mm. is that my, the correct way of understanding this idea of sociocultural trauma? Or I wonder if you could define that a little bit more like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, there are very, like, various existing terms uh, in various fields, which uh, describe this type of historical events. Uh, sometimes it's called historical trauma, sometimes it's called collective trauma, sometimes it's called social trauma. And a variety of uh, those terms probably comes 
from the fact that in different disciplines, uh, you know, people were thinking about more or less uh, uh, the same events, but they were calling, uh, naming them differently. And there are some variations in uh, terminology, uh, but what is in common is that there are events which happen in society. So trauma comes from outside of people's lives, right? Um, it's so it it, it can be uh, wars, uh, violent conflicts. Uh, genocide, uh, repressions, different type of repressions, um, discrimination based on, you know, groups, status, uh, slavery, uh, genocide of, uh, like First Nation would be considered, uh, historical trauma or sociocultural trauma. Um, okay. Why? Why did we come with uh, a new term, right? Like, why should we create a new term? I, I could use collective historical. So uh, working with uh, Carmen together and, uh, again, summarizing and processing all this existing knowledge and information, um, we were trying to identify major features or or what is in common. Uh, so historical trauma typically talks about some type of oppression of violence uh, and collective trauma. But in sociology, experts also talked about drastic social change as a social trauma. Especially it was applicable to the former communist block. So can you imagine like living in a capitalistic society and next day it becomes a communist society, for example, or maybe not, not next day, maybe in a month. Uh, it's, that. Yeah, it's so people were living in the Soviet Union or in the Soviet bloc and they Many of them didn't like it, but okay, there were some laws, there were some rules of life, some government bodies, some ideology. And then next day say, okay, this is democracy now. It's not a totalitarian regime anymore. And uh, we, we will have a very different economy. Uh, we will go from highly regulated market to a free market. Now you can do whatever you want to do. Mm. And nobody knew what to do. Nobody knew what. Like, okay, majority of people didn't know what to do. Uh, some people knew and they uh, used um, that advantage, uh, you know, to get richer or... So... Uh, so, and especially older generation was lost because they lived their whole life in one society. And next day, okay, next month, it's a different world and you need to adjust. So um, 
so it wasn't a war or it wasn't violence but it was huge social trauma and even for like better changes for brighter future it was traumatic because it was abrupt and huge right um why we added cultural uh, because again, uh, uh, there are many writers uh, writings on uh, uh, social trauma as a cultural phenomenon. So uh, it impacts culture mm. um, and response to uh, that trauma also depends on your culture, including your social location. And uh, like we can talk about. COVID as sociocultural trauma, for example, or the mm-hmm. pandemic. So uh, not very accurately because it's not from the society. It was a like biological, you know, like uh, natural disaster thing. But uh, then it became sociocultural trauma right. because life was changed, right? Like, okay, you go to, uh, to work, you go to friends, now you sit at home, you... Um, um, yeah, all yeah, yeah, so that is like right. big uh, societal change, and people were not able to go to uh, weddings or funerals, uh, right. they were not able to uh, connect, like sc- uh, children were not going to school, so that will be uh, social and everyone's problem. responding differently to it, too, exactly. So, and outcomes were very d- different. Uh, so, and that societal um, context, it's also like multi-layered, right? We have our small community, but uh, there are also like international community and national uh, uh, level. So different countries reacted differently. We, we know that uh, in different countries, there were very different attitudes toward right. uh, um, towards vaccination. Then within each country, there were groups who uh, supported distancing and quarantine and uh, groups which didn't want to do it. Then we know that impact all like relational and financial and health related depended on people's location. uh, I had students who uh, needed to do Zoom classes in their family, like family's home garage when temperature outside was 100 because they had several generations in the home and there was no space. Um, We also know that because of health disparities, um more people died from uh more disadvantaged groups yes and people lost jobs like those maybe with the lowest pace right like restaurant service or other uh work which like they lost those jobs and we didn't lose them because we were professors and um, actually we didn't need to spend gas uh, to go on campus so actually we saved uh, money if anything Uh, so this is again a sociocultural aspect of 
trauma's impact. So it's differential. It mm-hmm. so even uh, yeah, when we observe like recent events, whatever we think about, we know that different groups uh, have different burdens and um, uh, impact depends on pre-existing factors, also like with the risk or uh, protective factors, whether it's um, social connections or uh, financial resources, Right. Or insidious traumatization, you know, traumatization which happens every day due to discrimination and oppression. So, um, so culture impacts perception or reaction or impact of tra- social trauma, but also social trauma changes culture as well. Yeah. And again, the observing the most recent like post-COVID uh, outcomes, we know that the, the culture changed. Right. So I'm appreciating the way you're describing kind of a fluid and recursive relationship between culture and these events and how they both, the culture becomes a receiving context, but also becomes affected and changed and shapes mm-hmm. back how people begin to perceive that story. And I'm mm-hmm. appreciating the uh, I guess the analogy to COVID, I want to be, to your point, I think, careful as well of making direct lines between some of the events in Eastern Europe or other big conflicts to COVID because it is different. But also for our, you know, after, you know, the US-based context, an experience that's close to home. And I guess I imagine too that if if folks were to imagine working with, if we could call COVID in for the sake of this conversation, a sociocultural trauma, that it would be difficult to do the work if you didn't have a sense of the events and the history at the time. Because I'm appreciating this piece that you're, I think you were saying earlier that having knowledge or some sort of connection to the geopolitical histories becomes pretty yeah. important to do the work. Yes, thank you, Navid. Yeah, it's so important. Uh, and it's why I hope that this book, uh, you know, will be a useful resource for those who work with uh, um immigrants from um eastern europe or and will provide some knowledge uh, will provide some knowledge yeah like at least some basic uh, information in first cha- in the first chapter there are several pages which cover the uh, main events and <clears throat> I remember um, a colleague from Hungary who is a historian, and I told him that, okay, you need to provide a a background uh, of your country's history, uh, uh, but please do it uh, in two pages. And... Oh, yes, an easy easy demand. Yes, yes. So, of course, uh, there are so many... uh, events missed in all of those background yes. informations and uh you know each chapter had very strict uh, uh page limits right. we, we try to uh, fit in um but again even that can give a glance of what what happened to uh, those countries and i 
have a, a case example. I think I have two case examples in Chapter 7 and Chapter 8. Um, they are based on real work. And uh, I worked with uh, some couples. Uh, if you if you see them, if you start talking with them, you would never guess um, that there is a very like deep historical traumatic experience. So one example would be a couple, uh, yeah, like around their thirties, uh, perfect English, like perfect English because they're like second generation, um, and uh, look like any white American you, you you can see. So they came with communication issues, but. Uh, their transgenerational patterns go way back to the former Soviet Union. And again, on the surface, it was just communication issues, but those communication patterns came from that sociocultural trauma experience of their parents and their own experience. And without without knowing it would be very difficult to uh, identify it uh, and they didn't talk about it they didn't connect by the way they didn't connect it they didn't come oh you know our families came from the soviet union from totalitarian society it's why we cannot uh connect with each other no they didn't talk this way uh, and very often there is a uh, silence around trauma and again we can see it uh, either in again pseudo sociocultural trauma of covid pseudo I know that people are not confused or um, we can recall refugees experiences like people who survived severe violence uh, immigrants or refugees they do not want to talk about their traumas because it's too painful. Right. So, uh, and they want to survive. They want better lives for their families, uh, for their children. So they look into the future and many of them want to forget the past. Yeah. I'm I'm really captured by this piece. If I could kind of ask about it. Please, okay. please. Because yeah. just to give some context, I'm I'm really drawn to this because um, just for some context, I work at a uh, an agency working with Middle Eastern refugees, but due to the kind of lack of resources for Eastern European communities out here, we see we've seen a lot of Ukrainian refugees in our, mm -hmm. um, and we have a couple couples, a couple couples. We have several couples that we work with, and I'm just very interested in how you are kind of approaching these conversations because i'm also thinking well i'm iranian and we had the big revolution in the 70s and it's a pretty tough thing for that generation to talk about and it creates a lot mm -hmm. of political division and just tension mm -hmm. that's at least how i've experienced it there i have a nicaraguan colleague and she describes the civil war of the 70s in nicaragua as this event where people don't talk about it like you look at each other you're like oh you were in nicaragua in the 70s and then like they move forward and don't address it. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I'm a bit curious about how it is that, especially with the the, the model you've developed here, mm -hmm. how are you 
inviting these conversations and threading them through their relational ethics and dynamics in mm -hmm. a way that's sensitive to the yeah it's it's very important to be uh sensitive uh to this and i'm glad that you you know you, you're describing this like uh, real li like life current uh experience of viewers uh and uh fortunately or unfortunately no probably unfortunately yeah very unfortunately but we have some knowledge from previous big traumas uh, and research like the holocaust uh for example um or uh, the nazi past in germany uh that was like this like the same like after world war ii can you imagine right so people avoided talks because they didn't want either to share on what side they were, or they didn't want to ask and to know. They wanted to silence it. So the first generation is typically silence. I see. Yeah. And do you honor that silence, or are you just kind of naming it? Yeah, so the first generation, yeah, and it depends. Uh, again, like uh, the, the first generation most likely needs to uh, help with immediate impact so they have direct immediate impact and uh if they want to talk about it you you can talk about it but you really respect that silence and uh um but what happens with transgenerational and one of my interests is like impact on the second generation like even more, because if parents do not talk about it, the second generation uh, becomes confused. They do not know what's happening, right? So they see their parents like in a status of distress, but nobody talks about it. So, you know, children, they like small small children especially they would um think that it's something wrong with them like my mom is not happy because i'm not a good enough like they have that narcissistic stage when they think that everything in the world happens because of them like mom got sick because he or she or they uh didn't follow the rules it it hurt mother so they attribute a lot of things to themselves and they are confused so if uh and that's why i think that um contextual therapy is very helpful first of all it says it says that it always has transgenerational impact and it involves at least three generations differently again it's not a linear um effect in or impact is okay parents had PTSD so now children have PTSD no uh, uh children may have some PTSD symptoms but may not have uh but what will happen is parentification of children again children are okay I believe like mostly good humans uh they care about uh other people uh or at least contextual therapy tells us that 
Uh, so I hold they the same hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, they misbehave sometimes, yeah. Uh, but um, they naturally show care to their parents. So when <clears throat> a parent is in distress, um, like, became depressed or with PTSD, you know, that there are some uh, difficulties with emotion regulations and all those things. Um, ch children try to, to, to help their parents in, in different ways. They care about them. And, and that task is not often appropriate to child's development. So they start to be parents to their parents. You so, know yeah, I, I, apologize, I apologize for interrupting you. I just there's so much resonance in what you're saying for me as the child of immigrants. Um, I'm that second generation you're talking about. And there's something validating and almost healing in what you're saying to me, because there's so many interactions I have with my parents and family in general that confound me, like their reactions and behaviors. Mm -hmm. And it's challenging to find a narrative that's useful and connecting because uh, in some ways like psychology starts to internalize stuff and start to like starts to create like diagnostic problems and that doesn't always feel so helpful or fair either because it strips the politics of experience especially around these huge geopolitical events that occur mm -hmm. and so it's fascinating to imagine um or kind of like start to consider how generational effects are occurring and I'm loving, if I'm hearing you correctly, that in the contextual family therapy approach, like the healing is in the construction of a narrative across generations. Yeah, it's, uh, yes, if or changing that, that narrative. Yes, changing that narrative. And uh, you asked earlier, and I deviated a little bit, but as you said that, okay, it's not, a, uh, uh, it's tangent, but related. Um, and there is a lot uh, to share. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned that, okay, if you give a diagnosis, by the way, the first generation can show symptoms or some behaviors of narcissistic or borderline personality. And as you said, okay, if we start to put the, those diagnostic criteria, it doesn't help. It's not fair. So what is fair is to identify a main root of that problem through uh, collecting history. So um, we have genograms, right? Like our staple uh, instrument. We are supposed to, to have that at least for three generations. Then as a therapist, become alerted that, okay, so we need to know history a little bit. So if you come to me, Navid, and you say that you second generation Iranian immigrant, I I would have some ideas <laughs> what happened in Iran, what could happen to your parents. So I wouldn't have to be fully educating you on the history. You'd have a sense. Yeah. Is that right? Right, right. And you do not have, but I I so now we think, okay, there were some sociocultural traumas. And of course, your family had unique experience, and I shouldn't right. generalize. But I expect that 
there will be impact on your parents, on you, on your relationships. For sure. So, so when you tell me about your depression or anxiety, which would be, by the way, you can imagine hypervigilance will be, and uh, mistrust in the world, it's major out, like it, it's again, common denominator for all of those uh, sociocultural traumas, losing trust in people because it comes from people. Yeah. So pe people hurt, right? And uh, in this way, it can be like relational interest. It's not only social interest. But then in your head, you have this idea. Okay, so the larger uh, societal context definitely impacted somehow this family. So uh, I'm listening to those sides. Uh, and that will be like meeting the client where the client is. Yes. Or I can be more proactive and I can say like, okay, so your parents... Um, came from Iran, like, what year, what happened? H how do you think it impacted them? Mm. How do you think it impacted your rela their relationship with you? So then I'm placing, so I, I'm active. I ask, like, how to, like, educated guesses, right? Uh, and I'm asking for your own experience, your family experience. But then I make a point that that destructive impact came from the larger system. And your parents probably had no control. They did their best. Mm. But those circumstances, very unfair and just circumstances, impacted them and your relationship with them. And we will be looking uh, at moments when there were connections. So the goal is to restore that connection. So to place the trauma where it belongs to, yeah. it belongs to so societal context. It's not your parent, like complete your parents' fault, right. you know. And then it increases family connection. And if we increase family connection, it's like increasing immune system. Of course, we cannot change many historical events. Uh, in the past, uh, and even in the uh, current, right, situation, something like people are caught in those conditions they have no control over. Um, but if we have fair relationships among us, like in families or friendships or communities, if we support each other, uh, there are more chances to feel, to, to be more balanced. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I'm going to be giving you, I'm going to look up your practice and give you a call after this uh, podcast for sure. Because there's just so much, so much that's touching my heart and what you're saying. Um, I need to, okay, thank you for, for uh, I need to update my website. <laughs> uh, there is contextual therapy there, but uh, I think I need to update, like to, to put this book and uh, a few words uh, yes. about. Uh, well, I want to be mindful of time here. There's just okay. so much more I want to hear from and talk about. But is it okay if I kind of ask you a rather big question as we're wrapping up? 
And if it's too big for the end, you can just disregard it. Okay. And really the question comes from my own geopolitical context, I suppose, because, so I don't, so if, yeah, if the question doesn't fit again, please discard. But one of the challenges of some of the work that I do um, with the Middle Eastern communities is how to position some of this work while kind of like in the belly of the beast that caused some of the traumas, if that makes sense. Because, mm-hmm. for example, like a lot, I do a lot of work with Iraqi refugees and Afghan refugees, and they're effectively directly displaced by U.S. invasion and imperialism. Mm-hmm. They're here in the U.S. talking to me, an American therapist. Um, are there certain politics that need to be negotiated or navigated as? Um, well, I guess as you're in a as we're in a country that might be connected to some of the challenges that the f- generations experience and and further like what about when you're part of that generation too? If that question makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, could you please say a little bit more that okay, the team, so so it's like being an American therapist like uh, like how do you do you acknowledge at all or name let me let me let me actually yeah think about my question and clarify it let me give you a story Mm -hmm. um some of the work i do because i work with domestic violence and one of the things that my clients are challenged by is that when they come to the u.s they're told the united states isn't like your country and we don't accept mm-hmm. violence here. So if your partner is hitting you, call the police because we don't we don't do things like that here. And mm-hmm. that really drives a lot of my clients up the wall because they're like, wait, you don't do violence? Americans don't do violence? That's that's why I'm here in this country is violence. And so mm-hmm. there's a way that like I become part of the very my attempts to help are mm-hmm. also part of the systems that led to their displacement. Oh, uh, yeah. And I don't yeah. know if that's relevant to your work at all, honestly. Um I maybe it's about ignorance of my own geopolitical histories of the Eastern European You know, in, in uh, uh like in, in my work it's not so um it's not so direct maybe. Yeah, it's not so like sharp or you know okay. uh, because I'm working with the immigrants who didn't experience like direct. I see. Yeah, but 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 yeah, but you're like uh, it's excellent like question because yes, you represent a system, and I think that we always need to be aware of that whether it's like. You know, we do therapy because child protective services uh, came uh, to, to to the families. What I deal uh, with them was that there was something towards the child, and then uh, immigrant uh, parents, immigrant, they say, "Okay, I do not also understand this system because it's a bad parenting not to like hit your child, right? And why like?" You are telling me that when there is so much gun violence uh, in the United States, so elite, like I, I think you have much more difficult uh, si- situation there. Um, 
Can I add a piece to my question then, or like shift yes, a little please. bit to mm-hmm, maybe make mm-hmm. it maybe potentially more close to home? Again, I might be off base here. You mentioned that you yourself, you know, you were born in Moscow in the Soviet Union. Uh, you came here 25 years ago. Am I correct in, are you part of the generations that, like, would you locate yourself as one of the generations in that story that has experienced some of this sociocultural trauma? Yes, yes. So what is it like for you, one of the people of that story, to be working and supporting others in that same story, if that makes sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, uh, and here, again, advantages and disadvantages right uh because coming from the same culture you know you will think okay i know like what happened ah i know what you experienced of course i do not know right uh fully because it was their unique experience and i can uh project a lot on my clients like of my own experience like guessing so um so i if like my like if we speak Russian with my clients, for example, they will guess immediately uh, that I'm from Moscow because I have very strong. Like, mm. We we can like it like it's like New Yorkers, right? And, the accents, yeah, the yeah, accents. Uh, then we will read like read more or less our so- social location as well. So there are a lot of subtleties there, right? Uh, and probably the same from Iran. Like you can read same thing. Yeah. Yes, yeah, same thing. So there is a need to talk about this. So, and again, I, I would do some self-disclosure to, uh, okay, to, to help people to situate me where I am mm. from. And we may have a conversation that how my, my location uh impacts work and uh you know what i need to understand and probably i would talk about that yeah i'm a part of a system and i may not agree with all everything like there is no perfect uh system there is no perfect rules there are things but okay we are in this country now for some reasons and let's figure out how I can help you to succeed in this country. And maybe to talk, okay, talk about that oppressive experience you you have. And you can imagine, like, so they bring loyalty issue open to you. And that is contextual therapy. So can you imagine how your clients feel in terms of split loyalty? So this they are in country uh, which gives them shelter right now and helps them. But that country was in aggressive towards their homeland and reason why they believe they're here. Like maybe this is a bigger reason uh, and why the historical reason, right? But so now they like, okay, I would probably switch to their like, how is it for you to live in this country? How can you figure out, navigate it, and how you still can support your family? Like, so that will be that uh, national split loyalty talk. That's really beautiful. It it strikes me as a very artistic 
balance of holding complexity like the United yeah. States is huge and both is dangerous and all the above and yeah I'm just really grateful for this too because I think it creates a pretty important charge for especially American therapists to be co connected with geopolitical histories and if, especially if you're working in a particular community to be learning mm. about that some of that stuff um, which I'm grateful for you acknowledging too in the sense that in my own work uh, I'm often you know in the in the term middle eastern like the courts mm -hmm. will send iraqis to me think oh go to a middle eastern therapist they'll help you yes. but there's a really tough history between iraqis and iran iranians you know there was mm -hmm. a huge war and there's a lot a lot of history there so it's not you can't assume that we'll just get along because we're middle eastern yeah and, and so, it's such a huge region with right. such complex history right so knowing the geopolitics i think from what you're suggesting from your um from your book and some from your work is that like perhaps it positions therapists to be a little bit more politically sensitive, a little bit more cautious about knowledgeable, yeah, knowledgeable, <laughs> knowledgeable, being intentional and careful about how they might internalize trauma versus locating it in broader sociocultural events. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, like how it is that you're engendering connection across generations as they craft mm -hmm. and renegotiate a story about that event. Is that kind of a fair capture? Yes, yeah, it's it, it's even a better capture than I had. So it was um, very helpful to have this dialogue and uh, to have your questions. And uh, again, it's it's what I appreciated very much with, uh, about working with Carmen. You know, we had dialogues, and it's so I have my my knowledge, my experience. But then when we converse. Uh, new things are discovered and yeah. uh, new insights. So I really appreciate your questions. Likewise. Yeah. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. Thank you so much for being here. Um, for those listening, I encourage you to go check out uh, Dr. Globova's book, uh, Sociocultural Trauma and Wellbeing in Eastern European Family Therapy, which is a Springer Brief book. Um, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Like Pleasure. And I learned a lot. Same. Thank you.